Welcome to the Nerd Party. Welcome back to Throwback Paperback. I'm Asia Bonilla, one of the hosts. And I'm Charles Sheelan, the other host. And today we will be discussing the final chapters of Percy Jackson and the Sea of Monsters by Rick Riordan. We're a new podcast with the Nerd Party Network, and we're reading and rereading books from our teenage years and sharing them with each other. Yes, as best friends, we've wanted to share books with each other, so we turned that product into a podcast. Asia read the Percy Jackson books growing up, and I never did, so it's a treat for her to share them with me, and it's a treat for me to experience them for the first time. And this way, you get to hear one of us who's familiar and one person who's completely new, so that you get a range of perspectives on the books. Yeah, so after Percy Jackson, we'll be moving on to a series that Charles has read and I haven't. And part of the way this is set up, the person who is new to the books will give a brief summary of our reading in case you didn't read along with us. Yep, so that means I'm on summary duty, and for this episode, we finished out The Sea of Monsters. We read chapters 15 through 20, so here we go. In chapter 15, we have our crew fighting Polyphemus, and Percy pins him down, but he shows him mercy and totally gets knocked down. But no worries, Tyson shows up out of nowhere and helps turn the tide in the fight. They're fighting, and they go into the water, but our crew does manage to escape Polyphemus' island with the fleece. By chapter 17, the crew gets to Miami, and they let Clarice take the fleece and run ahead to Camp Half-Blood, which promptly has the rest of the crew captured by Luke. Luke and Percy start to fight after a bit of a conversation, but then Chiron and the other centaurs show up and help get away. And then finally, the whole team does get back to Camp Half-Blood. We have another appearance by Hermes, a very dramatic letter from Poseidon, a successful chariot race, and to finish out the book, Tyson leaves to join Poseidon underwater, and big reveal, Talia has been resurrected by the Fleece. Wow, so much in those last two chapters. Um, Let me go ahead and get into my first reactions really quickly. I think I liked this reading a lot because it was less episodic, so everything felt connected rather than in some of the earlier chapters in the book where we just have one chapter villains. I like that this all sort of tied into the overarching narrative of the books. And therefore I felt like a lot of the action felt justified and like a reward we'd built up to it. And that Clarice continues to grow on me. Obviously we have to talk about the final reveal, but we'll save that for the end. But Asia, why don't you give us your quick first impressions as well? My main first impression was just for this section, I was pretty positive how this book ended. So I was just honestly really looking forward to confirming what I knew to be true and to hear Charles's Charles's impression, especially reading that for the first time with the reveal of Talia being resurrected. So I just can't wait to talk about that. That is what I was really looking forward to when reading these sections. Yeah, we're really going to get into that. And I think we'll save that for the end because we're probably just going to go a little crazy, but I want to start because, of course, I'm Team Clarice, that even Percy notices how brave Clarice is, so I'm declaring that this podcast is officially pro-Clarice, and I won't take no for an answer. We're on Team Clarice now. 
I mean, I guess she's she's okay. Good for her that she ended up bringing the fleece back to the camp and, you know, getting all the credit. But I'll always be team Percy and team Annabeth. So if Clarice is on their team with them, I'll I'll be for her, too. But that's going to lead us into Percy's adrenaline rush and how he decides to show mercy to Polyphemus. Which I want to mention, we kind of tapped on last week when we were talking about fatal flaws. I think we said that Percy's would have something to do with being too chivalrous. And if Tyson hadn't been there, his chivalry could have cost him his life. So, like... We haven't gotten the confirmation yet of what Percy's official fatal flaw is, but I definitely think that's something to look out for. And then that leads into Tyson being back, as we predicted. Yeah, I I was just wanted to add for Percy's fatal flaw, I do see that. I feel like already just in this book, he's had multiple opportunities where he's ready to sacrifice himself for the sake of his friends. So that definitely could be it. But yes, Tyson comes just in time. Just as Percy, he decides to be merciful and is on top of Polyphemus. And he's like, I'm not going to kill him, especially because he thinks about how Polyphemus is essentially another half-brother of his because he's also a son of Poseidon. So he's like, I can't kill my brother. But of course, <laughs> he does that. And Polyphemus, Polyphemus is like, oh, you made a mistake. I'm going to kill you anyway. But luckily, Tyson gets there. So Tyson is alive, which is great. And we, he explains that basically Rainbow, his hippocampus, or fish pony, as Charles referred to it in the last episode, was following them the entire time while they were on Clarice's ship. And when Clarice's ship exploded, Rainbow came to save Tyson from the ship's wreckage. And then after that, they were basically just searching the sea of monsters to find Percy and Annabeth and the rest of them. And Tyson, another thing with the smell, he smelled the sheep on the island, which is what led them to Polyphemus' island. And that's how he got there. So definitely perfect timing. And then after all of that, we, you know, we think Tyson saved the day for real, but not really because Polyphemus is not dead. Yeah. When they got into the water, I was like, this seems a little too easy. Like, you know, obviously Percy almost got hit, but like we had our dramatic Tyson reveal and that was enough. But then we get into probably the best anti-Clarice case we have because she's pretty dumb. <laughs> and when she sort of reveals their location and everyone else has figured out, hey, Clarice, be quiet. But I would say that not all of them are the smartest. I think that Percy does have his moments of stupidity. But hers are like, that's the like children of Aries, like pride because she's shouting at Polyphemus, like, we won, and it's not even over yet. Like, the battle's not even over, and you're already saying you won. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it was absolutely stupid, and I will admit that. But while we're on this chapter, I want to get to some funny things, because apparently part of my job on this podcast is to track funny moments, like when Grover says that his friends talked him out of getting married. Oh, yeah. And then another thing another thing that I'm tracking is what I'm calling hashtag Percy Powers. <laughs> He gets into the water and just summons the ship. He just thinks, ship, come to me. And the ship just starts to come. Asia, is that fair? Yes, because it's not that he's, yes, he's summoning the ship, but it's because he has control over the currents and the water. So it's really the water that's, 
is his power. So he's just using that. And it just so happens that the ship, since it's on the water, can be moved by that. But I think I think it's great. I love it. Yeah, that leads right into another Percy power that we get, that he and Tyson can mind read underwater because they're Poseidon sons. Again, I'm all for Percy having powers, and I think that that's great. But really, is that fair? Just because no one else seems to get new powers every single chapter. Well, again, we'll go back to Percy is a son of the big three. And as I'm assuming we're going to learn soon, since Talia will be back, I'm sure she has special powers too. But with the mind reading thing, that makes sense. They're connected. They're both sons of Poseidon. That makes sense. Just like how he's able to communicate with the with horses and things that Poseidon created. That makes sense. So I think it's totally reasonable, a reasonable power to have. I think it makes sense, too. I just, I guess maybe my frustration is that other demigods haven't been given those things. But I agree that Talia probably will have some pretty cool powers. And maybe that will make it feel a little more fair. Because it just feels like right now we haven't gotten that. Well, and at least for Percy's sake, like we said, he's a very chivalrous character. And just the fact that he doesn't seem to overuse his powers, like... With Polyphemus, he was in the in that moment of power of being able to kill him, and he chose to be merciful and not do it. So I think it's important, too, when people who get power, it should be people who know when to use it and when to not. Fair enough. Okay, well, again, I already declared pro-Clarice, but now is your time. Do you want to lay into her anymore before we stop hating on the Clarice? I just have to say... My only comment is, how stupid can you be? That's it. That's all I'll have to say with the calling to the ship, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, there are no excuses to be made on that one. That was objectively stupid of her. But we also find out that she does not understand her own prophecy. We finally learn her prophecy from the Oracle for her quest, and she ultimately needed Percy to determine the meaning of it. And make it happen for her, which the prophecy was basically that the line was, I think. That she would fail without friends. Like, she would need. Yeah, she would fail without friends, but she'd have to fly home. Alone. The Golden Fleece on her own. So I don't know what she thought that meant, but that seems pretty clear. Yeah, when I read the prophecy, I was like, am I the only one who thinks this one makes a lot more sense than Percy's prophecy? Well, also, I just. I remember when she said it, I was like, I don't know how you'd misinterpret that to mean something else. Like, it's your friends, which maybe because she's like, Percy and Annabeth aren't my friends, but like, she went on the quest alone. Somebody obviously has to help her if she needs help, like if she needs her friends. But yeah. like I said, Aries kids aren't the sharpest tools in the shed, so. <laughs> well, best part of that was that Percy says that Annabeth think is impressed she says that percy is too nice and then she's impressed that percy figured out the quest and was very generous to give the full thing to clarice so we got a little romance starting again as always yes and then right after that very conveniently luke shows up just after clarice has gotten away with the fleece and he takes all of them back onto his ship i just that was some very like wow perfect perfect timing there yeah, nice plot convenience just for him. That should be right after the fleece is gone. Mm. 
And then another convenient thing of is how once they're on the ship, Percy is clever enough to think to do the Iris message to Camp Half-Blood so everyone can see Luke's plan and how Luke has Luke poisoned Talia's tree. And that way, by doing so, he also finally clears Chiron's name so that Chiron's can go back to being the activities director. Also, something that happens during that that was that I noted was that Luke says about the Golden Fleece that because I think Percy was like, you were just using us to get it. And then Luke's like, yeah, that that was the point. But he's like, I was still going to give it back to you after we used it on Kronos, which was interesting because, like, what does that mean? Why would he still give it to Percy if he hates Percy and he's on Kronos' side? Did you notice that? I did. I did notice it, but I didn't think too much about it. I figured that that was probably Luke's sort of sentimentality for, you know, even though he hates the gods, like, he did grow up at Camp Half-Blood. I think that there's a bit of... Maybe there might have been sentimentality, like, yes, he had to do this terrible thing to poison the tree at the beginning, but he would want to heal it once Kronos was healed. But obviously with the ending, we're going to get a quite a different twist on that. So maybe we should hold out on the fleece and Luke's plan until after that. True. So then after that, we're at Luke and Percy's fight. And I want to jump in and say that I think that I'm glad that the fight is going badly for Percy. Like, he's holding his own. No, I don't want him to get destroyed, but I just felt like it would have been very easy for him to, you know, be crushing it. Like, but he's younger than Luke, as you've mentioned. He's less experienced. And we know he's naturally talented. But I felt like it would have been a little bit ridiculous if he was also such a great swordsman to defeat Luke in book two. Like if he's already beating Luke in book two, where is he going to go in book five? So I think that I appreciated that he was losing a little bit. Yeah, that makes it definitely more believable because if he would have just went in and won, it would have been like, okay, just like with the powers and stuff, I feel like it would be one thing. Okay. He has powers. He's a son of the sea God, but just he's only been practicing sword fighting for a year, two summers, like, max. So, yeah, that makes sense. And luckily, the fight gets cut off by Chiron and his cousins and all the, um, what are they called? The party ponies? The party ponies? No, no, no. What is the... Centaur. The centaur. And we find out that Chiron's dad is Kronos. So it makes way more sense as to why... People blamed him for poisoning the tree. Like, he has a very close connection to Kronos, which I didn't realize. I I did know that because in researching this pod and this book particularly, I went back and did a little bit of mythology rehash. But, so I, I, I'd read recently that Kronos was Chiron's father. But I guess for me, that I felt like it was a little bit of a stretch to blame Chiron specific. I know that they need to blame someone, but I felt like the Cronus is his dad argument was a pretty weak one because literally all of these characters are related. Cronus is Percy's grandpa. He's Luke's great grandpa. So, you know. But the connection between like a father and son is a lot stronger than a grandfather. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. But like Zeus is Cronus's son. Also, Chiron was at 
the camp. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it would be one thing, oh, a god came to the camp to do it. Like, he was there, and then him having Cronus' father was, like, could have been a motive. Like, I understand the reasoning. Oh, yeah. Like, I agree. There's, like, a... There's definitely, out of convenience, like, he's at the camp, and he's the closest blood relative. I just felt like relative alone was not a good enough explanation in a world where literally all of the characters are related. But I do feel like if... Mr. D, Dionysus, I, I feel like he has it out for Chiron, so that could also be part of it. That's probably true. Or, he, like, he doesn't like Chiron. Like, that we know objectively, so. Mm-hmm. And that conversation actually has a pretty important conversation element where Chiron says that he doesn't think Kronos is going to try to convert Percy anymore. So far, Kronos has been trying to sway Percy because of the prophecy if Chiron... I mean, if Percy goes to Kronos' side, then he can help destroy the gods. And basically, Chiron sort of predicts that Kronos is going to stop trying to convert Percy. And I agree. I, I don't know if that's reasonable or if it's just sort of so we can move on with the plot. But I do think that it's probably correct that Kronos is going to stop pursuing Percy. Maybe I'm wrong. What do you think? Well, for me, so right now, Percy's... 13 now i'm assuming so they said it's by age 16 i mean that's three years like you change a lot in three years it's definitely possible i mean i've read these books before i i'm sure percy's not gonna cross over to the dark side but i i also think I think it was important also that Chiron was just emphasizing, you know, once Kronos decides that he feels there is no chance of converting you, like, he's just going to try to kill you. So even for Percy, I feel like it would be smart to kind of pretend like, you know, he's still on the fence about it. So that way he doesn't have to worry about Kronos coming down to just murder him. But maybe that's just me. Ooh. Thinking. Some trying to, reverse psychology. Trying to think yeah. outside of the box. I think Percy is in hot water no matter what, but maybe. Yeah. So that takes us to chapter 19, in which a lot happens. Clarice finishes the quest. Tyson gives Percy the watch, the super cool watch that turns into a shield. Hermes comes to visit Percy again, and he gives him a letter from Poseidon. A letter, and I'm doing quotation marks around that because it was only two words. And then there's the chariot race and the cheek kiss. Oh, the cheek kiss. I can't wait. Yeah, that's a lot. A lot of stuff happens once they get back to camp. So first off, gotta say yay. Clarice got credit for her quest. Honestly, Percy and Annabeth don't need it. Percy's already way too much of a celebrity. I do wish she'd been nicer to them. Like, she has that line where she says something along the lines of, just because you were cool once, I'm not going to like you anymore. And... Well, she's still she's still a daughter of Ares, so... They, I feel like they're not very nice. And that will frustrate me, because I don't love when characters have no growth. And I feel like if she just goes back to being completely, like, no acknowledgement of the special relationship she's forming with Percy and Annabeth... That will be frustrating for me just going forward as a reader because I'll, it'll feel like it disqualifies everything. But maybe that's just me. Mm-hmm. 
It just doesn't feel like a complex character who's always evil and brutish, even when she's been humbled. So I hope that gets rectified in the next book. Yeah, we'll see. And then Hermes. So that whole conversation is kind of blah, because Hermes is like, thanks for talking to Luke. You did more than I thought. Percy's like, he cannot be saved. He is evil to the core. And Hermes is like, I don't think so. And he tells Percy to trust his dad. I have thoughts on that, but I want to hear your thoughts first, Asia, about Percy trusting Poseidon. Well, so Hermes gives Percy the letter that says, brace yourself. So that could have a lot of different meanings. It could be just a warning about Cronus in general. Could it be a warning about Talia? Like, there's plenty of things that can mean, but I do think when Hermes is saying to trust Poseidon, so far, I think Poseidon has proven that I do think he cares about Percy in the best way he can. He is a god, so he has lots of responsibility. And I think Hermes even talks about how, like, as a god, there's only so much you can interfere in. And sometimes by interfering, they ultimately make things worse. So I I think that Percy can trust Poseidon, at least for right now, with the information we have. What are, what are your thoughts? That's exactly what I thought as well. And I think Percy comes to that conclusion, and I hope that he stays there. Because so far, at least, Poseidon has not let Percy down. He's helped Percy at every turn. Every time Percy asks for help, Poseidon provides it. Whether it's the Nereid or the Pearls or more powers or the cruise ship or the water ponies. like Poseidon can't, obviously, he has not showed up, but he's been much more supportive than Ares or Hermes has. We haven't even met Athena yet. Mm -hmm. So I kind of am with Hermes and that I think that Poseidon is probably doing as much as he can. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point too, how you're pointing out some of the other campers with their godparents and how they haven't really interfered. And I think a big difference too is besides obviously like Tyson and other Cyclopes and stuff, Percy's his only child. So I feel like he really can help him and focus any attention he has on him. Whereas even for Annabeth with Athena or Clarice with Ares, they still have tons of kids. So even if they help you, like they might help some of their kids, but not help others. And then Hermes obviously has tons too. Like, so I think that could be part of it, but that's why for Percy. Yes. Specifically. I think at this point he can trust Poseidon. Like he's got (laughs) as close to having a father present i think as he can get right now i would agree yeah and then how did you feel about poseidon's letter because i kind of already said how i felt but i'm kind of where you are too i kind of again i'm team poseidon right now if there's a team to be on of course he could have said more but i think that again we haven't seen annabeth getting a letter from athena recently so I think that it was in reference to Talia. I didn't think it was about Kronos because I thought that Percy has a pretty good grasp on the threat that Kronos places. Okay. But Talia coming back to life will change up the whole dynamic. Yeah, I was thinking it was for Talia too. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think Poseidon is trying with Percy. He probably doesn't have a lot of, like you said, he doesn't have any other kids, so he has no training on how to be a good dad. <laughs> And I also think that 
I wonder if this will come back, but it did seem like Poseidon had a very special connection with Percy's mom. Yeah. And I wonder if part of it is that he's got to keep a distance because he really feels connected to Percy's mom. And the more he's close to Percy, the more he's going to spill over into his mom's life. And maybe Poseidon knows that that's not such a good thing because he's a god. Maybe he won't be able to resist. Maybe <laughs> I'm getting a little too speculative now. But I think that I think that his mom being part of it is probably going to factor in. Yeah, I I see that. I would say I agree with that. And I think that Poseidon did really well by Tyson. I think that yeah. this is skipping ahead, but I think we can finish out the Tyson mm-hmm. storyline. I think that bringing Tyson to the forge is exactly what Tyson needs, and it's good for the plot of the books. I think that we'll see Tyson again. I don't, but I think that I think that putting him in the forges is a good way of sort of getting him out of the main circle. Because he does sort of, he'd be a lumbering character to kind of drag around from now on. Yeah, especially like he is a Cyclops, so it it wouldn't make sense for him to be at Camp Half-Blood where everyone's a Half-Blood. Like that was always probably a temporary place for him. So I do think, again, it shows like the Poseidon is willing to take him into and really guide him where to go is really nice. Yeah, but before Tyson leaves, he helps our crew with the race, and he has the watch. Let's talk about the watch. Oh my gosh, the watch was so cute. I just, I love that. Also because now Percy has two collapsible weapons. He's got Riptide, the sword, and now he's got his watch that turns into a shield. So he's set, and like, it's all collapsible, you know, put in your pocket on the go. I love it. So... Real question, is Percy Jackson Mary Poppins? Yes or no? Is Percy Jackson Mary Poppins? Okay. No, because he doesn't have a giant bag. He's only got two magical items so far. He's got to get at least 10, I feel like, to be on Mary Poppins level. This is true. No spoonful of sugar for him, but he does have nectar of ambrosia, so there we go. And then Annabeth, so cute when she claims Tyson. And she says that they couldn't have won the chariot race without Tyson. Yeah. And Percy, like, saying, this is my brother, which is a big growth from the beginning when, you know, he was super embarrassed of him. So, yeah, I think that does show some character growth for both of them and how they're finally willing to accept him as he is as a Cyclops. And then she kisses Percy. On the cheek. Ah! Okay, you know what? They're 13. They shouldn't be kissing anyone else. (laughs) They should be in school. Stay in school, kids. Oh, my God. It was so cute. Oh, I was so ready for it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Hermione does that in book four, I think. I think it's book four of Harry Potter when she starts kissing Ron and Harry on the cheek. And it's very platonic. Well, it's kind of like, you know, thanks for saving my life multiple times. Thanks for being a great best friend. Thanks for having us win the chariot race. Like, I definitely love their, like, friendship and, you know, whatever else it'll turn into. Yep, I'm so ready for that. I hope Talia doesn't get in the way of that. Oh, my God, if she does, we're getting rid of her. Okay. And then and then I think that that means that we're probably there. We're probably yeah, the- ready at Talia. Before we get into Talia, do you have anything else you want to bring up before we get to Talia? Nope. I'm I'm ready to talk about Talia because, oh, I can't. I just want to know if you saw it coming. Like, what were your thoughts? 
Okay, let me flag two things really quickly before we get into it. One, right before the end, Chiron says that he can teach Percy how to manipulate the mist, which makes perfect sense to me, but he's so nonchalant about it. And I was like, that seems like a pretty cool power. Okay. And most importantly, we still haven't identified who can't who Luke's spies are at Camp Half-Blood, right? You're right. We did not get that closure, which makes sense because you there's still three more books in the series. So we did not get closure on that. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that makes sense because they're spies. <laughs> oh, no, I was just... <laughs> I was going to say, it makes sense that not everything's been tied up with a bow and finished since the series isn't over, but yes, it also makes sense because they're spies, so they're good at their job. I was sitting there reading, I was like, okay, when we get in that reveal, we're, oh my god, the book's over. Okay. Anyway, good. Whereas we got I was just sitting there to. like, when are they going to say it's Talia? When are they going to say it's Talia? So, to answer your question about Talia, I saw it coming when Percy starts having a dream. So Percy in chapter 20, he starts having a dream and Poseidon sends him the dream saying, brace yourself again. And at that moment, I was like, it's gotta be something about Talia. It's gotta be something about the fleece. So it's gotta be something about like the protection. And those are all sort of tied together right now. And it made perfect sense. Like it made perfect sense that Kronos's plan was to give himself another chance at corrupting the prophecy. So you see, so you kind of saw it coming. You were like, they're going to put the, f- did you think that like, they're going to put the fleece on the tree and then she's just going to appear again? I thought that when that dream happened, that something was going to happen with the tree. I didn't know if I knew exactly that she was going to be resurrected right then and there, but I knew that she and the tree were going to be somehow activated in a way that we hadn't seen yet mm-hmm. because Percy was going to be in danger. Yeah, because I feel like when I read this, you know, at 11, I definitely did not see that coming. I mean, I also didn't remember, like, the dream, which I think that does definitely point to something's coming. But I just know, like, this is something like I this is one of the only things I remember about the series is that Talia, the daughter of Zeus, she's a tree. And I, I didn't even know if it was in this book specifically before we started reading. Once I started reading, I was like, oh, it's in this book because I knew it had something to do with the Golden Fleece. But one of the main details I remember about this series is that, oh, Talia comes back to life. Do we know how old she is? Well, we only meet her for about two sentences, so no. <laughs> but I okay. would think I w- she's like, I'm pretty sure which... Like, I'm pretty sure she has not aged. So, like, she's been a tree for, like, seven years or something. Maybe a little bit less than that. Or, no, I think it's about seven because I think – or six, maybe. Because Annabeth said, I think, she came to the camp when she was seven, which that's when she was with them. And so it's been it's been a, quite a few years. I'm pretty sure, like, she's not aged. She's at the same age she was. So I think she's the same age as Percy and Annabeth. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, I think that might be right. Plot-wise, that's what makes sense. Also, because I was just going to say that just how Percy, like, especially for her being not just a daughter of the big three, but a daughter of Zeus, like, the top god, at once she hit the age of 12, I'm sure, like, monsters were attacking her. Like, she had to get to the camp. You know what I mean? Because that's when it hit for Percy. Absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. Like, they have to, she and Percy have to be the same age. Because otherwise... It's very clear that 
Kronos should invest in her. You know, like, if she's older than Percy, then Kronos is going to try to convert her, or the gods will try to convert her. But if they're both the same age, then they'll both still be targets, or they'll still both still be of interest, because they're both candidates, right? Yeah, I would definitely, then, yeah. I definitely think that they're the same age, which will, I'm sure they're going to talk about it at the beginning of the next book. Yeah, it's going to be quite fascinating to see what side she ends up on. And I, as soon as I finished Confession for our listeners, as soon as I finished this book, the chapter, I started texting Asia. I was like, OMG, 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 you have to read, you have to read, because I finished before her this time. And it was, I was so excited to talk about it because... It will really change the dynamic of the crew, especially because Annabeth is close to Talia, and if there's a rift between Talia and Percy. Also, I don't know if this is a hot take. Is that what the kids say these days? But I think that Talia is going to die. I think she's going to die again. I don't think that... I, I think that the the, the prophecy is going to be about Percy. I know that we don't have a confirmation of that, but I feel like... The fate is going to be on Percy's shoulders in, when he turns 16, and she has to be somehow out of commission for that. Maybe it's not death, but what do you think? I honestly don't remember. Like, this is definitely, like, the next three books, I have no idea. I have no, I'm sure as like we read, it's the same thing. I'll read something, I'll be like, oh my gosh, I remember that. But as of right now, I have no idea what the next three books hold. So I have no I also have no memory, but if I had to guess, yes, I think, I'm not sure though, because I don't know, she's going to die. Maybe it won't be death. Maybe it'll be something else where she's no longer like eligible to be the decision. But I think, yeah, I think it's not going to be, I think one of them is going to be like out of commission kind of thing. Like, so it will ultimately come down to this to only one person, but I'm, I really don't know. I'm so excited to find out and reread this, though, and re-experience it. Yeah. And that seems like a good place for us to start reading the next book, right? Two books down, three more to go. Let's... Yeah. So we'll be back next week, then, with the first 10 chapters. So we're going to divide the next books in half. We think we can pick up the pace a little bit now that we're really out of exposition world. So next week, we're going to start Percy Jackson and the Titan's Curse, which is book three in the series. We'll be reading chapters 1 through 10, so if you're reading along, read up through that. And if not, you get to hear my dulcet tones in summary. Yes, so let us know or just stay in touch with us regarding anything on the Nerd Party website. You can head over to nerdparty.com contact and select throwback paperback. You can send us an email there and get in touch with the network on Twitter at joinnerdparty or on Instagram at thenerdparty. And you can find me at asiabonia on Twitter and at asia.bonia on Instagram. And I'm on both Instagram and Twitter at cesheeland. We're a really new podcast, so make sure that if you enjoy this, you rate it and review it on whatever podcast network you listen on. Share it with your friends. And of course, check out the other awesome podcasts on the Nerd Party Network. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.